Welcome back to the Neuroverse. I'm your host, Magnus Hedemark, and this is my boomy radio voice. You won't be hearing much of that. We'll just go back to like normal chill Magnus. Welcome back to the Neuroverse. I know it's been a long time and I'm really embarrassed. I'm actually really ashamed. You'll notice this is episode 10. You're wondering like, where was episode nine? I didn't hear episode nine. Episode nine was lost. If you listen to episode eight, you'll notice like partway through episode eight, the audio got corrupted. I recorded episode nine, like an hour after episode eight. So I didn't know that my deck was recording busted audio. And so nine was complete throwaway. And I've been just hiding, hiding out of shame, embarrassment, and just feeling bad. I did bad and I feel bad, but we're back again. I got like two things recording now. So if my deck doesn't work, then I got a recording on zoom and we'll use that a little bit of housekeeping real quick. If you're new to the neuroverse, um, we are a listener supported show. There are no ads. If I have my way, there will never be ads on this show. I hope. Um, but what that means is if you have the means and the interest to help support this show, you can go to our Patreon page. I'll have a link in the show notes and even a buck a month helps. Uh, most people donate about $5 a month and that's awesome. That keeps the show going. That pays for the hosting, pays for other stuff. And <clears throat> excuse me, I shouldn't have eaten dinner like right before recording this. But uh, like most recently, we got a really cool 10 legged octopus, 10 tickles, and he's our logo. She, they, they are it. our logo. You hear our guest, you hear our guest anyway. Yeah. Patreon, blah, blah, blah. So we have a guest and you probably recognized her voice. If you listen to the show, she's been here before and she'll probably be here again a lot if I have anything to do with it. Welcome back to the show, my friend, Haley Moss, Esquire. <laughs> you make me sound so important. You it's are so important. Hang- it's always great to hang out with you. You are so important. You're awesome. No, I'm not. I mean, just trying to live my best life. So if you can tell, I'm actually back in Miami. You're back in Miami. This is my, my apartment. So yeah, you, you, you went somewhere else. I, I was, I lived at my parents' house for like almost seven months. Wow. <laughs> I, I, my parents, um, also live in Florida. I went home, I went home for the pandemic. Like most people did. And I was like, you know what? And at some point, like, not because they opened Florida and our governor did whatever he does. It's like, you know what? It's just, I need some space. And I also just yeah. need, and I also just have stuff to do. My parents live in Florida and, um, I guess my relationship with them is, is different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, look, I, I love my family. We're super close. I'm the only kid though. So, yeah. but I think when you live at home for any extended period of time, you kind of find yourself regressing a little bit. And I feel like I was all of a sudden 26 going on 15 and I was yeah. also scared to ask for the car. And like, I know that you have to follow like different rules and you're kind of like a different version of yourself when you're around family sometimes. But I yeah. think that's the case for most people. Oh yeah. I, I, I know if, if I visit, I have a hard time 
Like certainly seven days is a long visit. And we do that sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. Seven hours can feel long sometimes. I, I like that. I, I would like it frequently in small doses. <laughs> I think that would work well. You know, like having think regular so, coffee not, dates not, or something. So, so not like seven months. Not like seven months. No, <laughs> you you could almost I mean, deliver a, a healthy baby in seven months. <laughs> That's a long time. See, thank you for making me think of that. I can't imagine when you put it that way and you make me think of it as a third trimester pregnancy. Now I can't unsee that. Uh, I'm, I'm well. Like, where does the mind go when you start thinking about <laughs> like what what can a person accomplish in seven months? Like, yeah, um, that gets you most of the this way. Girl accomplished a, this girl accomplished a book manuscript, so yes. thank you. Yes. So when do we get to see that book? Um, I'm hoping spring 2021, but I am at the beck and call of the publishing gods. Okay. Well, who do we have to sacrifice? <laughs> um, how about we just sacrifice blue puzzle pieces? Blue puzzle pieces. Oh, I will, <laughs> I will burn. So many blue puzzle pieces. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad you're down for for sacrificing. Just send them puzzle pieces at the altar of the publishing gods. Yeah, just send us all your blue puzzle pieces, and I promise to burn them. <laughs> Are you going to get it on film now? Yeah, I got. I, th- fancy I, th- cameras. I think that would be the. I think that would be the most viral autistic like video that we've ever seen. You should make it a TikTok, and then you can relate to the the children. If Patreon goes nuts, I, I'll like, I don't know if I can find someplace that will like sell me bulk blue puzzle pieces and just buy them and burn them. That would be a lousy use of money though, but I would totally do it. If, if it the blue like puzzle a, it pieces almost sounds, up, It almost sounds like a cards against humanity ploy. Yeah. Like, like a publicity stunt for sure. I don't know. Well, I, I would, I Technically, I have a YouTube channel. I haven't really used it yet. That would be a great way to start it. But then it sets the bar high. It's like you're one and done. You do your one great video. It goes viral. And then what do you do after that? Look how many great singers are one-hit wonders. You can live with it. And then you can just ride it for the rest of your life and have this great story. I mean, I went viral once upon a time. And I still talk about that story. of Remember the time that I had to take like six, week off, six weeks off of work because every single news outlet wanted to talk to me? And then once crazy. upon a time, I was on. I had to take six weeks off of work. I couldn't handle it. And my parents were involved. And I, I lived at home then, too, because it was like, how else does one handle the media for a long period yeah. of time? And also, it was a safety concern. Like, I have a one-bedroom apartment. Like, it just didn't seem like being alone in a 1-1 was exactly the smartest move at that particular moment. Yeah. So I, I did take six weeks off. I have, I have a great story to tell for it. I mean, I'm still kind of – I think about it a lot, actually. Because people always ask me, like, what's that like? And every single time, like, the best, they're like, what was your favorite media thing you did? And every single time I go, when I got to take control of my own story and I started writing again. Like, when I started yeah. writing for, like, HuffPost and Bustle and all that stuff. Like, when I got to take control of my own narrative again and not have the narrative that other people were trying to tell with me as their character. That was my favorite part of the whole thing was getting to take control and take back my story. Because I love, don't get me wrong, I love some of the stories that were done about me and I really... I'm quite proud of them and I still show off the today show very regularly because I think it's really cool that like the filmmakers that came from today really wanted to make sure they told my story my way. And they, I basically told them flat out, like, I don't want to be an inspiration and they, they ran with it. They were cool with it, but 
I'm glad you like that one because when I Google you, that's like the first thing that shows up. But as you've seen with a lot of stories, they make me out to be this very inspirational figure. And like, wow, that's a really quick summation of my life is once upon a time, I was nonverbal and now I'm a lawyer. And that means if that's all you get from me, I screwed up. That means I really screwed up if that's the entire story that you get from me. Like every now and then I'll run into somebody who, who hasn't heard of you somehow. (laughs) And so I like Google, like, okay, I'm sure you've heard of her. Maybe you're just not recognizing the name. And the first thing that shows up is the today show clip on YouTube. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that's not, that's not a, a, a terrible clip. I like that clip. Yeah. Um, Oh gosh, there was something else that we were talking about too that I wanted to go down that path and I lost it. Um, not it's okay. Visits. I feel like I feel like I lose my train of thought all the time. Also, trains. Ooh, trains. <laughs> I feel. Does the Neurofers have any wholesome train content by any chance? Not yet. It needs wholesome train content. Can we get like a train expert? Oh, where are we going to find a train expert in the autistic community? <laughs> I don't know. Um, um, I remember what I was going to talk about. YouTube. YouTube. Yeah. We started talking about that. Like, wh- I don't know. What would I do on YouTube? I'm not. So I could do the same thing I'm doing now on podcast. Just you have to look at my ugly face while I'm doing it. Oh, your face is not oh. ugly. Don't be, don't be so hard on yourself. Um, the, uh, listeners, uh, the listeners don't realize that I'm actually staring at your face. So. And she hasn't blinked once the whole time. I can I can, or do I? I have no clue. You're, you're blinking. I'm blinking more. You're, 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 you're scaring me into thinking that I must be some kind of like robot or something. Oh no 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 no! Those are people without autism. <laughs> or the or they, the researchers who make the autism robots that to teach us social skills, like as John Marble used to joke, like, "Hey, yeah. look, there's a robot here that's not teaching us social skills." Right. Or, or the phone apps. I was another, that's another thing that comes up a lot. I've seen it on LinkedIn, like people asking what kind of mobile applications do people with autism need to learn social skills? And um, none. I, I just remember non-compliance is a social skill. Oh, so if do you, do you reckon like if autistic people made robots, they would be the first empathetic robots. I think that if we made robots, they would be empathetic. I mean, I, I always like to tell people when they like to get into the vaccine debate, I'm like, autism probably causes vaccines, not yes. vaccines cause autism. Like, come on, let's be real. So half of the scientists might be autistic anyway. Who knows? And that there might be an aut- and that are developing vaccines. Like, as you know, there are a lot of autistic people in the sciences. I'm right. not trying to stereotype. I'm really, really trying not to make that a stereotype because I don't like that stereotype. But there do happen to be a lot of us in the sciences and perhaps an autistic person developed a vaccine and they saw something outside of the box. So yes, I believe that autism causes vaccines. That's the, uh, the way flip, I like to look flip, at it. Flip, um, among, flip, that script. flip that script, my friend. Yeah. Among the fields that we dominate, <laughs> you can include science. And law and journalism and we're just gonna take over art. the world. We the already have. We're be hiding there. among you. The neurotypicals should be very, very afraid. And we're reproducing, and yeah, we're everywhere. We have we actually have like relationships and successful lives, and yeah, 
Oh my God. I was telling, I had to explain to someone today why I absolutely can't stand love on the spectrum. Why can't you stand love on the spectrum? Did you watch it? I did. I watched it end to end. How did you feel before I tell you my thoughts? I, I feel like I really wanted to hang out with some of the people that were on the show. Oh, me too. I, I have nothing against the subjects. Yeah, I loved all beautiful of them. humans. I on the, all of them. Mostly beautiful humans. I, you know what? I'm gonna have to like Google the names because I'm terrible with the names. There, there was um, only one of the cast members that made me uncomfortable because he was kind of like. Um, was it the one that wanted to wipe like everybody? <laughs> yeah, he was kind of a bit of an incel. The one that was sort of misogynistic. Y- y- sort of very, yeah. I'm trying to be nice. Because I don't know if he actually is a misogynist or if that's just how the filming and editing made him look. Yeah. So, because I was a documentary subject before, I can tell you that they they will take a bunch of footage and they will somehow piece together this version of you that may or may not actually be anything like you. Yes. So, before I say he's a misogynist, I just want to assume that he was... I want to give him the benefit of the doubt and assume that he was maybe painted to look like more of a misogynist than he actually is. And that's my issue with love on the spectrum. My friend is that it felt it's, it's like bad scripted. reality. TV. It felt scripted and produced. It felt like they had a narrative they wanted to tell about autistic people and they collected as much footage as they could to construct that narrative. There's a lot that was very scripted. Like even the dates, like who goes to an empty restaurant on a, like a fa- empty fancy restaurant on a first date with a camera crew. That's just not normal. I'm sorry. Yeah. And then, of That's course, they're anxious as hell. Any, I mean, I did respect that the girl on that date with the, the guy that we think was the misogynist, that she was like, I'm overwhelmed. This is enough. And she just, like, walked out. And the camera crew was totally cool with it. Right. But but those, like, if you have a hard time romantically, any first date is going to be stressful. And then Can't the f- confirm. Uh, yeah, and then the first you know, thing you, you know that I you know that I usually don't talk romance on any of these things whatsoever. But yes, first dates are stressful. First dates are stressful. Then you got a camera crew there watching every screw up that you think you're going to make, mm-hmm. even if you're not screwing up. Can confirm. And then you're in an environment that you know you're not comfortable in. Mm-hmm. So as a former doc subject, my filmmaker wanted nothing more than for me to have a romance storyline. She was quite sad at the time that I was very single and I wasn't wanting to date at that time because I didn't want her to come on a first date with me. She's like, if you go on a date, I'm going to come with you. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're not coming on a date with me. She's like, can I be there after you go and like wait at home for you? And I was like, absolutely not. My private life is my private life. I didn't feel comfortable with that. But there was this narrative that she wanted me to have of having this romance storyline. And there was someone that I was like talking to at the time and she wanted it to happen so badly. And it made me feel so awkward to have like that interference of some sort of trying to define my relationships. And like, even now I feel like any relationship that I have is between me and that person, like through and through that's simple as that. I mean, that's just how it is. So do you think the producer would have wanted you to be in a relationship on the show if you were a man? I don't know. I think, I think part of it was that it's like, here's this successful, like 20 something trying to figure it out. Or it seems like they have it all together. And it would just be great if they had that, because 
I mentioned more than once, like I didn't really have a lot of friends. I mean, I do have a lot of friends. They're just, you know, mostly people in our community and I don't get to hang out with them. So when you're with me in person, it really doesn't seem like I have that many friends, but, and also the few friends that I do have obviously have boundaries too, and do not want to be on film. So it just seems like society wants to tell a story. Like every time they want to tell a different story about you. And I was dating someone maybe three months after we finished filming that documentary. Right. And my, she gets on the phone because of course I had to like keep her updated on what's going on in my life when we were friends. And I remember saying something and my ex-boyfriend got on the phone with her and was like, I don't want you here. I do not want you to film us. I want nothing to do with this. He He's an extremely private person and I absolutely respect that about him. I mean, we're still friends. Like we get along. I mean, we broke up over a year ago at this point, but right. that was what happened is he was like, no, I don't feel comfortable with this. Right. And of course, he also knew I didn't want it either, but he just was, he got on the phone with her because when I said, I don't want this, it wasn't good enough. But when he said, I don't feel comfortable, I do not want to be filmed. You don't have my permission. That was that. Yeah. I mean, like when you're on, in the public spotlight, like maybe it's you sign up weird. for that, but different. does everybody it's around very, you? It, that's how I feel. I mean, I am, a, here's the thing. And I say this all the time, especially in the dating universe, I am a private person with a public life. And I'm also a public person with a private life that you get two different people with me. And that's just how it is. Cause the public version of me versus the private version of me are not this exact same person. And I think that's a really interesting dichotomy and really difficult to navigate. So I would take a partner to events and I know they would see a version of me that they're not as well acquainted with. And there's just, and even now, like I still have that conversation and I don't always know the right way to have it is be like, yeah, Hey, I would love to take you to this like formal event because I go to a lot of galas, for instance. And usually I'm honoring someone or I'm the honoree or I'm just invited to attend as like a public figure. And going to those things alone kind of sucks. Because why would you want to go to a fancy dinner and have cocktails and schmooze by yourself? Which you know and everybody's you- gonna comment about you like not being I used to take my dad. And then yeah. everyone just thought it was wholesome and endearing. And then I realized that they all want to talk to my dad because he's my dad. And then I'm like, well, I'm in my mid twenties and I don't think my dad should have to be autism Google. <laughs> so, and so the last couple of times I actually took someone that I was dating and I feel like the weird thing, especially now, cause I think about like my current dating life and I'm almost like, well, I'm going to have to like possibly subject the person to seeing ableism in full force, you know, like in a public space with when a stranger meets me, that they'll say something like you're so inspiring. And as you know, in our community, you and I will talk about inspiration porn and how it is no good, very right. bad. No bueno. But but when you are in a public space and a stranger just calls you an inspiration, and even though they know that it, your, your partner knows that it hurts you, mm-hmm. and you just sit there and you don't know, and instead of calling this stranger out and teaching them disability studies 101, you sit there, you smile, and you say thank you even though you know that it's wrong, but how you don't want to cause a scene at this like fancy dinner party or anything, you know, you just want to move on with your life and you don't want to go. You, you're like, do I be a person today or do I be an advocate today? And that's when I put on the person hat. And I know at least like with my partner, I'm like, Oh my God, he's going to see this one day and it's going to make him sad because he's going to see me not stand up. And I'm very vocal and I do stand up for myself all the time. I mean, isn't that what right. self-advocacy is all about and what advocacy is all about? That he will see something hurt me and I won't do anything other than just swallow my pride. And it will hurt him to know that one, that thing I found offensive. And two, 
that I didn't do anything. And like, he will be hurt seeing me hurt and knowing that remark was hurtful. And I'm like, I, that's the thing with being a public figure. Sometimes I'm like, you're subjecting people to different types of pain. And that's the kind of pain that I think about. And I've, I find myself afraid to have those conversations with another person. Why, why do you think it is that so many people without autism uh, want to see us as inspirations? Because the bar is set so low for people like us that they don't think we actually do anything. And then when we mm. do do something, it completely blows their brains and pat goes past anything they could have imagined. So, of course, because they see autism as this huge tragedy of you're going to be nonverbal, you're going to be this, you're going to be in an institution or a glorified institution someday that wonder what's going to happen when your parents die. You know, like they have this whole like narrative of what the big, scary autism monster is. Right. And then here you are just like living your life, doing your thing, being a lawyer, an executive, a God knows what, just having a job, having a partner, having kids, whatever the hell it is you're doing. That's completely normal. And then they're like, wow, that's so inspiring. It's like. I just want the same stuff everybody else does. Yeah. I just want to be happy. I want to be independent or you know what? Interdependent and have my need, my support needs actually met because that would be lovely. And I think interdependence is a very underutilized and underspoken about value in our society because everything is about that. You must do it yourself. But independence does not mean doing it alone, but I'll get off my soapbox with that. But I want the same things everyone else does. Get back up on your soapbox. I want to be successful. I want to be happy. I want, to love and be loved. They want the exact same stuff that any other human being wants. Yes. I'm going to drag you back up onto your soapbox because you said, it doesn't make me special. You said interdependence is something we don't talk enough about. So why don't you talk Mm -hmm. a little bit more about that? I think that as a community, we do a very good job taking care of each other. I think that we have to. And I think we're told at least in autism and disability spaces that independence is this big goal right like it's this big goal that you must do everything by yourself be able to do it you must be able to live independently what does that even mean are you living independently if you have a roommate you're still dependent on your roommate for stuff too like interdependence is a value there are things that i will never be able to do by myself there are also things that i know my friends with physical disabilities will never be able to do by themselves because they just need help of a support worker or service provider or they just or something is just you know inaccessible yeah. And you need an, and you need the ables to actually help you out with something. Does that mean you're not independent? So interdependence is one of those values that I think is really beautiful. And as a community, not even just the disabled community, we all depend on each other for something. It's not like we all just hunt and gather and cook our own food and live our solitary lives. We interact with each other. We need socialization. We need community. We need skills and talents that other people have. So we are naturally an in, interdependent group of people, but with disability, it's just made out that we have to be independent. We must be independent. And it's like, what even is independence? Wow. Yeah. So I'm, I am living an interdependent life right now. So I, I, I get that. I feel that. I know that. I think there's a big difference though, between like interdependent, which is totally normal and expected in our society than being like codependent. Like, I feel like there has to be some kind of distinction of when it's like unhealthy relationship boundaries too. No, like the, the dynamic in my house, like I, I'm able to earn the income. So mm-hmm. I go out and earn the income and like, I have a hard time with things like if, if it fell on me to go get my hair cut regularly, it wouldn't happen. I would have a woolly head and I would just be a mess. And 
like my oldest daughter kind of looks out for me and says, you know, dad, you need a haircut, come out on the back Mm -hmm. deck, sit down. Mm -hmm. And she cuts my hair and it's the kind of thing it's, it's beautiful, you know? Um, at someday she's going to be making more than me. She's a smart kid. Uh, but I wonder in, I keep forgetting that you have like teenagers and stuff. Well, like you said, there's a public persona and the private life. I'm transparent in. I know that, you have kids. I just regularly forget about it. Yeah. I, I do have a long-term partner. I do have children, I do know that. but I'm, I'm, evasive about talking in too much detail about my family because like that's it's their that's it's their, their life decision R- right like i don't talk about my like even when i post pictures of my parents even though like my social media following loves when i post pictures of my parents i still ask them like is it okay if i post yeah. this picture or at least like because usually i save posting about my parents for when one i can handle people telling me how much they love my parents and two when it's like an occasion like a mother's day father's day birthday or just some good excuse to give them a shout out for some regard, but usually I just always ask their permission because I don't want to like, you know, violate their boundaries or privacy. And when I'm in a relationship, I also make sure whoever my partner is, I, I have a discussion like, Hey, I don't, I don't post about you because one, I don't want to open that floodgate on my own, but private, even like on my private Facebook, like I would be like, Hey, is it okay if I share a photo from this event that we were at together? Because it's not my place to decide what they do and don't want to share with people beyond me or their immediate circle. You know, like there, that, there's a reason that if you go through any of my social media, private or public, that you see very few photos of me with anybody I dated. And that is often because we've had those conversations. And a lot of times too, if you've had any time in the public spotlight, people will feel entitled to that part of you. Like if they know oh it's my there, God. they're going to they want do. it. Even if they know it's not there, they feel entitled. You should see how many emails I get asking me on a date or saying, I'd like to go out with you. Or, or, or even when I do that, ask me anything on Instagram every single time, there's at least three people who write, are you single? And every single time someone goes to, are you single? I say, I don't talk about my relationships or my romantic life. And that is a boundary that I've set very firmly on this page. And you are not entitled to that information. But of course, like anyone who knows me personally knows that I will talk about all of that stuff and give you the whole like cinematic universe right. of my like history because it's interesting. Or the I Haley find it cinematic universe. Um, I want to see all those universe, movies. The Haley cinematic universe is actually very interesting. Thank you. I, I've seen a little bit of it and I would agree. <laughs> would, would go back I mean, for more. I mean, when we talk, when we talk, when we're not recording, I'll definitely catch you up to speed on the cinematic universe. Yeah. Well, I heard, I heard a sneeze from one of your co-stars earlier, so I know that they're there. <laughs> um, you did. Oh my I did. God. I like, did. Like, it was funny. Like you were talking and I was listening and I heard a sneeze and I'm like, it wasn't you. It wasn't me. Oh my God. Can you just edit that out? Please? No, I've, that's actually one thing I'm not good at. Um, so interdependence. Not, not the sneeze. I mean, the discussion about the sneeze. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> woo woo. Train of thought derailed. See, interdependence. This is why, this is why, this is why we, we do Neurofeld. Yeah. Interdependence. That was a thing. We, we, so we were talking about what that looks like in real life, but 
for a lot about your partner and your kids and how they cut and and how your daughter cuts your hair. Yeah. When when you have people that are in your life, in your physical life, Mm -hmm. what interdependence looks like is, is can be pretty easy to nail down. Mm -hmm. But for our community where like most of our bonds with each other are virtual or like this zoom call between you and I at best, what might interdependence look like in a better version of our community? I want to know the answer to that, but I think it would actually just mean everything is accessible and everybody's inclusive and we will be in this like rainbows and butterflies and sunshine type world. But I am forever. I am forever the idealist. Yeah. You, you, you are, you were like, um, I wouldn't say, I don't know my optimist, but. You, I don't think I'm an optimist. I just think I'm. A, I think I'm an idealist. You you do give me um, more positive ambitions for our community. <laughs> I'll put it that I, way. I'm not afraid to criticize our community, but I'm also like like I'll I'll slap our community and also be like, here's my hand. Let's do better. Do you yes. want to like? Do you want to do this together? Like, we have. So I was on a meeting earlier today about one of those like intentional communities for like affordable housing for people with IDD. And I felt very, and of course, like it's a very touchy subject in our community. Like basically it's a glorified institution, depending on who you ask. Yeah. But I feel, I'm like, but I also understand why this is wanted. Like I get that parents of folks with IDD have genuine fears about their future when they're no longer around. And I get that some folks with IDD would love to live with their friends who also have IDD and have access to support. Like I get the argument for it. And I, but I also think there's criticisms to be had too of why are there no people with IDD for instance on the board of this organization or why aren't they giving their input of what a supportive community even looks like and of course I sit there ever the idealist and go you know I think that non-disabled people should be able to live there too and everybody can get whatever support they need to live affordably and comfortably because I think the importance of affordable housing nobody's going to fight that especially for folks with disabilities who already have low income or high unemployment and all those other great disparities out there. Like I have no argument against affordable housing. Like that's not what I'm trying to say. I just think that it would be great if that community is something that exists, that it should be ran by and also at least guided by people with disabilities because like, you know, we, we're the ones living there, not our parents, even though our parents might want that. Like instead of say like a group home, for instance, or some other institution, that you could leave or something like that. But again, I think it's kind of just messy stuff. And I'm like, can you just at least include us on the board? And I'm like, but at the same time saying there, please don't pick me to be the person on the board. Cause I'm not going to live there. I don't have an intellectual disability. Right. I think that you need to, I feel like the disability hierarchy is very, very real. And I always worry that nobody actually wants to talk about people with intellectual disabilities, especially. So in my work, what I've been a little bit more, I know that everyone is very intentional now, especially about race, for instance. I try to be intentional about race, but in disability work, since everyone seems to be covering that base really well, I really try to be intentional about folks with intellectual disabilities because so much of the conversation is about them and it really doesn't include them. And people just think of them as complete children who do not understand anything, especially when they are adults. And I feel like people with intellectual disabilities just regularly get screwed by policy and the system overall. So I try to make sure that they are getting covered. Do they get screwed by their own advocates, their own family members? I think so. I I definitely see it in the autistic. I shouldn't say the autistic community in the autism community, community. which is a different thing. So Florida, 
I, I tweeted about this recently, like Florida has a dr- passed a driver's license bill that lets people with developmental disabilities, I choose, keyword here, that you can choose or have the option to have a developmental disability marker put on your driver's license. And every supporter of said bill, of course, is a parent. Right. And anyone with a disability could tell you why this is not so much a great idea. And I understand the intentions, you know, like all good, all these policies come with good intentions. And it comes from this idea of it'll make things easier for law enforcement or first responders to know that you're dealing with someone who is disabled and help interact and guide that conversation accordingly, especially if they had training or something of that nature. But these parents aren't thinking about the unintended consequences of like discrimination. Say I am a person with a developmental disability. If I'm out to dinner with my boyfriend or something and I want to like order a glass of wine, do I really want the waiter to know I'm disabled? Right. That they're going to look at it. They're going to know I'm over 21, but they're going to say I'm disabled and think maybe I'm not capable. Do you have a guardian here or something? Or they're going to think my dinner date is my guardian and I'm just his ward or something. Right. That I'm basically like the handmaid's tale. Like I'm of, of dude. Or like anything, like imagine anything else where you have to present a driver's license. I'm not going to say anything like pro or against gun ownership, but that's one example. Like if you want to go buy a gun, you got to mm-hmm. present or, or driver's voting. license. Like th- think about voting guys. Think about voting everyone because like you, yeah. have, you might have to present an ID or show an ID. And then of course, you know, people with disabilities and voting accessibility is a big thing. That is not my, my big soapbox, but it's definitely a thing. And I always like to remind people you should vote. You should register to vote. Civic engagement is pretty great. And yeah, but that's my quick, my quick spiel on spiel on voting. You got your, you got your ballot, man. So other people can't see my mail came in today and I applied a long time ago for my mail-in ballot and it just showed up today. I applied for mine, but it hasn't showed up yet. My parents, they're showed up and I, and I helped guide them through the process because they're like, what do we do? And I'm like, I've filled out mail ballots before. Yeah. Here's how you do. So my parents voted by mail for the first time. And I was very proud of them. And I'm like, you could track your ballot online. I was telling them like all the fun stuff you get to do. Oh, wow. I think I haven't done it before. I think this is going to be like my plan B. I think my plan A is to go to the polls during the early voting days. I usually do go during early voting, but I think this year was not, that's not happening. I'm, I'm going to, well, it, early voting is happening here in North Carolina and there are a number Already? of, n- not yet, not yet, but I do but have, tomorrow's the debate. Can, like, I don't even need to debate. hear the debate. I mean, like maybe, uh, neither, neither, neither do I look, I don't, I usually don't like to talk about my politics, but I think my politics are no secret. So, okay. You know, you know what? I'm not going to pull punches. Uh, and I just don't, I just, it's not that I don't want to be political and I don't want to alienate people. I just don't think that this is a political show, I guess. But yeah, you know that. And it, I this just, transcends politics. Issue, agreed. I think this transcends politics. I think if this were like any normal member of the GOP versus any normal member of the Democratic Party, I would not I use this would, show. I would, still vote the, I would still vote the same way. Well, I, I, I probably would not use the show to weigh in on that. And true. if you're listening to the show and you're a Trump supporter, you're probably in the wrong place. That guy is not, he's, he's not, if you look at anything from the Republican party from the, like the last century, I don't care what side, what end of the political, if you're even a single issue voter here, because you're here because you care about neurodiversity, you would know that the 
Republican Party is not exactly a friend of the disabled community right now. I'm not, I'm not going to throw the I'm not going to throw the party under the bus generally. Their support of their president is very problematic for me. Agreed, but I'm just saying that the disability community it's very interesting like how much has changed since they that we had when we had a Republican president sign the ADA for instance. Yeah. But I do think it's great that everybody seems to agree that subminimum wage has got to go. Oh yeah. Absolutely. That's a good thing. But I also think it's wild when you see the debate about healthcare and you see all these things. And I, I mean, I'm not a single issue voter, but I think if you are a single issue disability voter, you can definitely see the contrast. So I've actually analyzed at some point all of the different Democratic candidates disability policy plans and the Republican Party and the Trump campaign never put anything out. So if that's your thing and I know that and I do have plenty of Trump supporters that I know that, for instance, do support the idea of neurodiversity which I think is pretty an interesting thing because I think neurodiversity is fairly progressive to some extent, but it's very interesting to see. And then I'm like, well, if you look at disability policy and like what will affect your disabled kids someday, you will realize that only one candidate right now, at least is considering their future. Right. O- only one candidate really has a, a disability a policy, but look, and it's not a perfect policy either because I've, I've looked at it. It's not a perfect policy. I don't think anyone has a perfect policy. And I think during the primaries, I've seen better disability policies. But I still think – I still like the fact that there is a presidential candidate that is at least trying to pander to my community and me. Yeah. And also, as a quick aside about Joe Biden. And he pays his taxes. Um, another quick aside about Joe Biden. He happens to be a trains person. That's right. He 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 was famous for riding Amtrak every day from DC to Delaware. He may or may not be pandering to the autistic vote, and I'm not going to complain about it. And he actually, like, I heard that he actually reads the Amtrak magazine while he's riding. Like nobody rides Amtrak (laughs) reads that thing. Joe Biden reads it. That's so wholesome. Yeah. Look, I'm not, I'm not necessarily endorsing wait, 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 Joe wait, Biden. Wait, I'm just saying Magnus, if you vote Trump, you're ho- dead to me. You know what? We just got our wholesome train content on the show. We did. <laughs> we kind of did. <laughs> About reading the Amtrak magazine. Yes. Yes. But you know, maybe we can, if any of Joe Biden's people are listening to this, I, I will endorse you if you get your man on the show and just, Talk to us about trains. We would like to do a full, I think we should do a full interview with him or someone from yeah. a campaign spokesperson just to talk about the merits of, of trains and preferably like a biographer or something. I'm sure there's going right. to eventually one day be a biography of the guy. And if there are, I hope that that biography extensively covers trains. And there, there will be no hardball questions. It's just, you know, nerd out with us about trains, trains. the American rail system. Always you know. about trains. And then, and then some more trains. Mm-hmm. Always about trains. So yeah, if if I go to the early polling station and it, it's kind of a mess, you know, if if there's a bunch of like rednecks with guns there, which I'm not ruling out at the stage of 2020, then I'm just going to do my mail-in ballot. If I can and safely vote in person, I will. Yes, it's also su- super important for folks like you that are also one. You and me are both in purple states. Yeah. And it's also super important for you because you have a Senate race on the line. Yes, I do. So thanks to autistic Twitter, I somehow got into election Twitter. Or at least I follow it because I told you, you need to follow Drew. He didn't follow me back. Drew was great though. 
I'll tell him to follow you. Yeah, I think you already did but once and he didn't. He is a big he's really big in election Twitter and I know Election Babe as well is also I think she's also autistic and has an autistic kid. Election Babe? But, yeah. She wrote for Eric not too long ago with the post. But she's but she also is really into elections and poll working and like there's a lot of people in election Twitter that are definitely autistic and let's be real, I sit there and they analyze data and make maps and it's kind of cool. And it's like a weird form of horse racing, I guess. But it's I feel like I've learned a lot about elections and who's running and poll data and that, like I get to nerd out about numbers and stuff because yeah. of autistic Twitter intersecting with election Twitter. So I weirdly know more than I thought I would ever know about elections thanks to some people in our community having a special interest in elections. I am now following election babe and some of my <laughs> mutuals also follow her. Drew is at the top of the list, as you mentioned, uh, Reese Piper's in there. That's somebody love Reese. I would love to have Reese on the show at some point. And I think we kind of talked about it, but didn't pursue it. Um, I love Reese. Yeah. There's Sarah Luderman. There's HLM Esquire. <laughs> I was feeling, she creative. seems important. I was feeling creative. And then uh, EMG, Eric Michael EMG. Garcia. EMG. He's he's below you. He's, he he's, actually te- he texted me today. Actually. Yeah. We were talking about subminimum wage, and because one of his favorite senators is Senator Hassan mm-hmm. from, I think it was New Hampshire, and she's a parent of a disabled adult, I believe, and she's just really good about disability rights stuff, and he. I remember when he covered like Senator Duckworth and the campaign having two disabled people running for that Senate seat. And it was just, yeah, he's good people. So looking at this list of people who follow election bait, it, it's, <laughs> it, we were talking earlier about how autistics dominate the world. And this is, this is kind of Autistic interesting. Twitter is definitely connected to, well, we're all over the place. So I'm you looking, just froze, by the way, no, I'm still here. Can you see me? Can you hear me? Well, I can see and hear me. Ellie, oh no, you froze. Hmm? You there? Can you hear me? I'm going to stop my video. I can hear you. You can't hear me. Technology. No. You there? You're muted. I'm, I'm, I'm here. All right. I'm, you know what? I'm That's going to stay in the show. Okay. All right. So I'm going to turn my camera back on. That was weird. All right. That was weird. So I, I so wanted you, to make a big talking, point here. You were, you were talking about Election Babe. I feel like this is becoming the gossip channel. All right. Election Babe is just a convenient way to illustrate a point we were making earlier about how autistic people are in every industry. We're like everywhere. So yes, including the, elections. The small number of autistic people that I know and follow that also follow Election Babe on Twitter include <laughs> an editor from the Washington Post. Who happens to be really big in politics and history. Yes. An attorney that I'm speaking to on a Zoom call right now. Uh, um, let me see. Ryan Hendry. I'm not sure. Tr- what does Ryan Hendry do? I don't remember what Ryan does. I don't know. Uh, Sarah Luderman, disabled disability writer. She writes for Vox.com, The Nation, Washington Post, and more. Uh, Helen Rodier. 
And she writes plain language stuff. Helen yeah. Rodier is a grad student in disability studies, getting her PhD. She also sends really cool mail because she has a very, very special interest in the mail and the postal service. Awesome. She sends great postcards and I 100% over one. She sent me one that the other day or week that said sending you spoons and it was just very needed. Uh, I don't know if it's Raya or Ria person. Um, mm -hmm. so she's really big in the autistic while black community. Uh, or I should say they, well, she goes by, they go by she or they apparently on pronouns Reese Piper, Raya. Raya. Okay. We Sorry, Raya. Figuring it out as I go. Uh, Reese Piper, autistic sex worker and writer. Okay. And mm -hmm. Drew who's an author you talked about drew before drew's an author that's like huge in election, election politics land. yeah so like take that autistic hyper focus and special interest <laughs> on elections and like this is the brainiac of elections and everything that's happening in the american political space mm -hmm. so all those people like from all different walks of life all just happen to be following election babe we sit we stand yeah we can't help but to stand our community and then i didn't mention myself i am election babe's newest follower and i'm in so software engineering i'm in it i'm an it manager which means i don't even do it i just manage people <laughs> who do it you're just you're just kind of a big deal not really <laughs> yes you are i i am a wee person and a big machine Mm -hmm. Well, you're a very special cog in the machinery then. Oh, no, no, no. I, I, I misread the memo. I'm, I'm hard of hearing. They said cog, and I thought they were looking for a cod. <laughs> I'm a cod in the machine. <laughs> that means you're really special then, if you're just a fish in the middle of the machine. Yes, I'm the fish in the machine being ground up by the gears. And like, I don't want to clean that mess up. Or you're just going to be the octopus with all the tentacles, and then it's just going to absolutely disrupt the machine. Yes. All right, I'll take that. So where were we? Where are we going? Where have we been? Where do we need to go next? <laughs> on Neurofeld. What's that? Because you're like, where are we going next? I'm like, next on Neurofeld. Next on Neurofeld. We have been at this for four 46 minutes and zoom hasn't kicked us off yet. It doesn't kick you off if it's just one on one. It does. It does a little later, but here's no, what I'm going to, it's unlimited for one-on-ones and it, it kicks you off if it, you're more than two people. I, I had a one-on-one -on -one last week that went too long. It was at least a couple hours and they still kicked me off. Yeah, you're good. So, Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to done did. What are we, what are we doing? I'm going to play the outro music. And I'm going to say Haley Moss. It's been awesome talking to you. Haley Moss it Esquire. Has <laughs> it has been a pleasure as always, my friend. So how do people follow you? Um, you can follow me on all major social media at Haley Moss Art. Haley or you Moss can visit Art. me on, on, on the web at HaleyMoss.net. So... You all are done talking to Haley. I'm probably going to like stop recording 
and get a little deeper into the Haley Cinematic Universe. <laughs> and who knows? We'll see. But this has been Neurofeld. Like this, this show is Neuroverse. But when it's Haley and I, it's Neurofeld, like Seinfeld, a show about nothing. Nothing. <laughs> we literally got on this call and had no idea what we were <laughs> going to talk about. I just pressed record and off we went. <laughs> and that's how it goes with us. And that's why I love hanging out with Haley. So I love hanging out with you too. So we're going to do this again. It's been too long. We should do this more regularly because we can. And yeah, we're going to do that. Thanks everybody. Stay autistic.